You know, with all this staying at home, a lot of people are feeling like Charlie Brown did. You may have heard the story. He was talking to Lucy about life, and Lucy started to wax eloquent as only she can, and she said, life, Charlie Brown, is like a deck chair. Some place it where they can see where they're going, some place it so they can see where they've been, and some place it so that they can see where they are at present. To which Charlie Brown said, I can't even get mine unfolded. Ever felt that way as a Christian or as a church? I can't even get mine unfolded. I sure have felt that way. Maybe you've yet to find a satisfying career, and that's uh, what you're feeling like right now. I was at the prow of some great career, and now thanks to the coronavirus crisis, I can't even get my deck chair unfolded, nor can I imagine how I could ever get it unfolded again. Maybe you found your career, and you've had your family, and now you're at the rear of the ship, and it's all past, and you wonder where you go from here. You're thinking, it's not for nothing that they call the rear of the ship the poop deck. <laughs> Moving right along, but maybe you thought you had a comfortable chair, a secure chair next to a spouse or a mother or a father, another family member, but, but now they're gone, and it feels like there's no place for you to sit down either, and, and there could be a man overboard. Maybe you thought you had it all tied up financially, but now you've, it's been kicked out from under you. And, and what if this crisis keeps on, uh, keeps on going, you're thinking, as some highly respected epidemiologists are saying will likely happen until a vaccine can be found. Though, of course, no one knows. But, but would your faith stand up to that? Andrew Sullivan is a, sol a, a columnist for Time Magazine. He, he, I love what he writes, generally anyway, but he put it this way two days ago. He said, we must hope for the best, but be prepared for the worst. But how do you prepare for that? If this happens, the psychological damage, not counting the physical toll, uh, toll caused by this deeply unnatural way of life of sheltering in place is going to intensify. We remain human beings and quintessentially a social animal. We orient ourselves in time looking forward to the future. When that future has been suspended, humans come undone. We are a futural creature. F-U-T-U-R-A-L. A high school senior applying for a university is living, uh, 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 is living for the college student he hopes to be a year from now. But what is a high school senior who can no longer look forward to a first day on campus next fall because college has been canceled? And then he puts it this way. A life without forward momentum is to a considerable extent a life without purpose, or at least the kind of purpose that lifts our spirits and enlivens our steps as we traverse time. Without the momentum and purpose, we flounder. A present without a future is a life that feels less worth living because it's a life haunted by a shadow of futility. We're going to see today that in the shadow of futility, the light of our destiny can shine all the brighter. We're going to see that whatever happens, whoever you are, wherever you are, wherever you've been, if you're a believer, it really doesn't matter where your earthly chair is or has been or will be. Because under it all, you are advancing to the only future that matters. In a deeper and a fuller way, you're advancing 
than you probably know. Destiny is on your side. The force is with you, you might say. You might title this message. You're a rising star individually and congregationally. And this is especially true here at FEC, at Faith Church, as we'll see. What force, what future, what rescuer from futility, what destiny? Well, it's in Romans 8, starting in verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good, to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. We come today to the third of the four movements, really, that you'll find in Romans 8, uh, in what really is a symphonic celebration of the greatest gifts of God's grace. There are four of these gifts, and they build to a climax that I think is as moving as any symphony. It goes from our identity to our glory, to our destiny, to our security. Today we come to the third movement, that of our destiny. And just what is that? Well, for those whom he foreknew, verse 29, these he also predestined. He predestined them to be conformed to the image of his Son, to be conformed to the image of the Son. Some of you may remember that a year ago we looked at the Son, at the Son of Man, and did we get an eyeful or what in Revelation chapter 1? The one in whose image we were made. And Paul now tells us that our destiny is to be like him, to become like this, this awesome being that we saw in Revelation 1, the brightest star in, in all creation. The, this man-shaped entity, as someone called him, who towers above us in the magnificent perfection of all his attributes. This one whose glory we see all through Scripture, who, as Phillips Brooks said, the everlasting type of what we were meant to be, who walked among the miserable shadows of what we were. That one is both our source and our destiny. And what Paul's saying here in Romans is that we've been predestined to become like that, to follow that star, you might say. As Paul puts it, to be conformed to the image of his son, both individually as those who were made in that image and corporately as a body, as the bride of Christ. Though, of course, now the image is seriously stained and broken. Today we're going to see that, uh, uh, that we're going to see the force of our destiny, that it's driven by the Spirit's intercession. And then next week in verses 29 and 30, we'll look at the source of our destiny, that it's directed 
by the Father's orchestration. It starts in verse 26. Paul had just said in verse 23 that we ourselves groan within ourselves. He said that as we do, we wait eagerly, verse 24, for the redemption of our bodies, bodies uh, with a sinful flesh that can feel like a ball and chain if you're anything like me. He says that we wait for the redemption of that into an unimaginable splendor. We wait with perseverance. We realize our de destiny by waiting with perseverance, by, by sheltering in place, you might say. And under it all and through it all, sheltering in place, and we saw this three weeks ago, we cry, Abba, Father. That's a good part of our part. But now, in the next section, Paul goes on to talk about God's part in the force of our destiny. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, for the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Back in verse 23, Paul said that we groan in prayer too. We just read that. Well, we, we groan within ourselves. He's saying that when we're in pain, we pray as best we can, and that's good, but we do not know how to pray as we ought, so the Spirit helps us in our weakness. He picks it up where we leave it off. He helps us by interceding for us with groanings too deep for words. And Paul goes on to say in the next verse, in verse 27, that when the Spirit intercedes for us, when he groans in prayer, it's according to the will of God because he does know how to pray. Now, Paul means to encourage us here, like you do when you tell someone that you're praying for them. But this is a whole new level of encouragement we're gonna see. It's different by orders of magnitude of effectual power. When he says, the Spirit of God helps our weaknesses because he intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words according to the will of God. Hang with me because there's a real treasure here. Who cares that I'm in his prayers? What does this have to do with, you know, deck chairs and rising stars? Well, it has to do with this, with something about prayer that most people don't understand. What's going on in these verses is very simply the Spirit's prayer. That'll be this week. And then next week, the Father's answer. First, the prayer. He intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, according to the will of God. The New Living Version says, the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And what happens as a result? We see it two verses later in verse 28. It's one of the most famous verses in the Bible. But not many realize that Romans 8.28 is the Father's answer to the Spirit's prayer. For we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. All things work for good, no matter how bad those things may be. And what kind of good things do they, uh, what kind of good do they bring about? Verse 29, for whom he foreknew, these he predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. That is to become like him. Again, the overall idea here is that if you're a true believer, everything in your life is working to that end. 
Life is the blink of an eye. And so though it may seem like, you know, an eternity in the blink of an eye, you're actually on a fast track to heaven, up and down though your life may be. Yes, it can feel like, you know, fits and starts. Uh, there can be heart-stopping plunges, and it can be three steps forward, two steps backward. Uh, but overall, he's saying it's a bull market. Because you're predestined to follow the one who's left the whole human race in the dust, the rising star, the risen sun, the son of man the gold standard for all humanity who is our source and destiny. So much so that as C.S. Lewis said, someday you will be such a creature, such an everlasting splendor, which if you saw it now, you'd be strongly tempted to worship. We will be dazzling, radiant, immortal, pulsing all through with such energy and joy and wisdom and love as we cannot now imagine. And just how sure is that to happen? Verse 30, For those whom he predestined he also called, and these whom he called he also justified, and these whom he justified he also glorified predestined, called, justified, glorified. These are rich doctrines. And there's a lot here that we'll look at next week when we'll turn from the Spirit's intercession to the Father's orchestration, from the force of our destiny to the course of our destiny. But for this week, the overall idea is that our destiny has a momentum that makes it inevitable because the Spirit of God is praying it out. He's praying out the four uh, unstoppable, inexorable stages of being predestined, called, justified, glorified. If a life without forward momentum, as Andrew Sullivan said, is a life without purpose, this is a momentum and a purpose that's on steroids. However you may feel, whatever you're going through. And it's so sure to happen that even though we haven't been glorified yet, even though we don't, like Christ said, shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father as we will one day, Paul puts that in the past tense as though it's already happened. He said, these he also glorified. Someday we'll shine like the risen sun because the force of destiny is on our side and it's sure to happen. It's as good as done. It's like the man of La Mancha, which we began this book of Romans with many months ago. Really, it's an impossible dream come true. Through all life's ups and downs, through the agony and ecstasy of life under the sun, through all the groaning, Paul's inviting us here to dream the impossible dream, to fight the unbeatable foe, to bear with unbearable sorrow, to run where the brave dare not go. This is my quest, to follow that star, no matter how hopeless, no matter how far. 
And then it ends, the world will be better for this, that one man, this is Christ, scorned and covered with scars, still strove with his last ounce of courage to reach the unreachable star, and now we're following him. And we struggle like he did, as we saw three weeks ago, with our last ounce of courage sometimes to reach the unreachable star. But our destiny is assured because while we do our part, God is also doing his part. And what part is that? Well, again, a good part of it is this. The Spirit intercedes for us according to the will of God. And as a result, through hell and high water, all things work together in such a way that you just keep following that star. And one day you'll get there to be with him forever. Now, hang on for just a bit longer because there's some rich encouragement here, not to mention empowerment. It's pretty deep. This is not truth light, L-I-T-E, here in Romans 8. This is not a sermonette for Christianettes. So, if you take your hand off the mouse, if you don't click me off, you'll prove that you're not a Christianette. <laughs> and it'll be worth your while because there's a treasure at the end of this dig. Listen, four verses later in Romans 8, 34, Paul says that Christ is doing the same thing that the Spirit is. He's praying too. It says that he is at the right hand of God who also intercedes for us, which is what it says in Hebrews 7. He begins there by saying that Jesus is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him. That's Hebrews 7.25. And how does he do that? Well, let's first look at what that means. He's saving us forever, it says, which means that through hell and high water, he is saving us in the deepest and richest way possible. Through it all, he's taking us through all the stages of our salvation. He's, he saved us from the penalty of sin when we first came to him, and he's now saving us from the power of sin as we walk with him, and someday he'll save us from the very presence of sin when we become like him. It's the same process that Paul outlines in Romans 8, predestined, called, justified, glorified, except in Hebrews 7, it's in a nutshell. He is able to save forever, it says, those who draw near to God through him, turning us into a rising star. And how does he do it? Well, next line, Hebrews 7, 25b, since, he's explaining how Jesus does it here, he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him. How? since he always lives to make intercession for us. There it is again. There's something about prayer that most people don't understand. And at a very high level, it's this. Our destiny, while being orchestrated by the Father's plans, is being activated, even accelerated, and one day it will be consummated by the Spirit's prayers and by the prayers of the Son and by the prayers of the saints, we'll see, especially if you're in a praying church, as you are. You see, God prays to himself. Did you know that? 
There really is something about prayer that most people don't fathom. When, when he said, let us create man in our own image, who was he talking to anyway? He was talking to himself, which I take great comfort in because I talk to myself too sometimes, especially when I prepare my sermons and even in public places like Starbucks. Without thinking, I'll, uh, I'll just start preaching. Not yelling, but whispering and even talking under my breath. And suddenly I'll look up and see that people are staring at me or moving to another table. And when it happens, I, I feel like saying, well, God does it. I'm not crazy. It happens in the Trinity. Let us create man in our own image. You might call this Trinitarian intercession. And what's going on is this if you compare scripture uh, with scripture. The prayers of the spirit and the prayers of the son in loving unison are calling out the plans of the father. They prayed according to his will before the creation of the world and when they did, his will became his work. And so the whole creation was the Father's loving response to the desire of the Spirit and the desire of the Son for the will of the Father to be realized. His will became his work as a loving response to the two people that he loved the most who were asking him to do it. And so it says in our passage for today that the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's will. We're told in 1 Corinthians 12, 10, 2, 10, that the Spirit searches out the depths of God, and so he knows the will of God, and so he can pray according to his will. And when he does, presto changeo, God's will becomes his work out of nothing except prayer. It's what Christ did all through his earthly life. He knew from Joel 2.28, for instance, that God's plan was to pour out his spirit on his people. But God activated that plan through prayer, through Christ's prayer, which is Christ, why Christ prayed in John 14, I will ask of the Father and he will send you the helper, that is the spirit. Christ prayed that Peter's faith would not fail, even though God had already promised him that not one of his disciples would fall away except Judas. And so Christ knew that Peter would not fall away like Judas was, yet still he prayed that he wouldn't. He said, uh, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Remember Luke twenty-two thirty-two. What's going on here? God promised to give Christ the nations as his inheritance. But still, the father told him this uh, in Psalm 2. He said, ask of me, and I will surely give you the nations as your inheritance, the ends of the earth as your possession. Ask of me? Why did he have to pray for it, even though God had already promised it? It's because, and listen to this, prayer is what activates the promises, the purposes of God. God is love, and so the Father's every decree comes as a loving response to the Son's desire and the Spirit's, 
And he wants it to be that way with us too. He doesn't want to be a dictator. He doesn't want us to be puppets. No, he wants us too to pray out his will. He wants everything that happens to be rooted and grounded in love, to be a team effort, to arise not just individually from the Father, but mutually in a synergy of shared glory to the greater glory that comes when it happens relationally through prayer, starting with the persons of the Trinity and continuing with us, with his fam uh, family. Because prayer is a, a divine partnership that's not just for the Son and the Spirit, but for the saints too. All through the scripture, you see them praying according to the will of God. That is, praying out the will of the Father. Like, like when Daniel read in the book of Jeremiah that the captivity was to last only 70 years. And all of a sudden, he realized, hey, that's this year. And what did he do then? Run away and wait on a hill for it to happen? No, he prayed that it would happen. Daniel 9.3, he gave attention to the Lord to seek him by prayer and supplication with sackcloth and fasting and ashes. And he went on to utter a long prayer, one of the most powerful prayers that you'll find anywhere in Scripture, pleading with God to do something he already said he'd do. Because you see, prayer is the trigger. Why pray? Prayer is the trigger that turns the will of God into the work of God. God's will is activated in and through and all around those who pray according to his will. Could it be more simple? God activates his will in and through and all around those who pray according to his will. And what that means is this. If you want God Almighty to activate his will in and through and all around you and all around those you love in a deeper and a richer, in a fuller way, in an accelerated way, if we as a church want God's will to be activated in and through and all around us in an, an unprecedented way, if we want to be part of an escalating a movement of the Holy Spirit, one that positions us midstream of what God is doing as never before, of His will, His agenda, His glory, we'll be on our knees will be on our knees. It's what drives me to my knees every day. And I've seen that I'm not the only one who does that around here at this church. It's why I've got a scripture, a stack of three by five cards uh, with nothing but scriptures on them that I pray for you through a good portion of each day. And two other stacks with your directory pictures Separate picture for each page. One, is how it helps me get to know your names, but even more importantly, it helps me pray that the will of God would be the work of God as I take your pictures into my, hearts, my heart and, and lift those faces up to him. Praying that the will of God would become the work of God 
in each of your lives. And a lot of you do the same thing. Why do we do that? Why do I do that? God does nothing except an answer to prayer, as J. Oswald Sanders said. So I want to get on board. I want to be on that train. It's all driven by intercession from the creation of the world to the redemption of humanity, from our justification to our sanctification to our glorification. All that and more is, you might say, the iceberg that's under the tip of Romans 8.27, that the Spirit himself intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And what happens then? Well, let's look briefly at the Father's answer to the Spirit's prayer. Verse 28, and we know, next verse, that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, hang with me again, because there's more treasure here. The best Greek manuscripts of the Bible, the earliest ones, in fact, the majority of them leave out two words from this verse, God causes. And so the best translation is what many of you have, and that is, we know that all things work together for good. Of course, God is causing it, but there's a subtle but powerful difference when you leave those two words out because it makes it more like an answered prayer. So often when you pray, doesn't the answer come in such an, a natural way through kind of an invisible hand? All things just work together. Sometimes it happens so naturally that you have to pinch yourself. You don't even notice God's doing it until you say, hey, that's exactly what I've been praying for. It's why someone said that divine providence is a conspiracy of accidents. I love that because so often that's the way it is. Divine providence is a conspiracy of what look like accidents, but they're not. It's the characteristic sign of answered prayer. And what Paul is saying here is this, it's the characteristic sign of everything in our lives. Sooner or later, it'll all work according to his will by a rich conspiracy of accidents because someone's praying according to his will, starting with the Spirit's intercession whose groanings are triggering all God's doings conforming us to the image of this awesome being, this man-shaped entity, this everlasting type of what we were meant to be who walked among the miserable shadows of what we are, the rising star, the risen sun, our source and our destiny. All things just work together to that glory. So, Back to the beginning. <laughs> Let me tell you something, Charlie Brown. If you know Christ as your Savior, through all life's ups and downs, through the agony and the ecstasy of life under the sun, <laughs> the force is with you. And this train is bound for glory. 
Some of you may remember that that's how I ended my Sunday sermon six months ago on, I looked it up, on Sunday, October 13th. In fact, this, and I hope at least some of you remember this, this was my sermon six months ago. We were in Romans 1, and we jumped ahead to these very verses in Romans 8 as a way of teeing up our 40 days of prayer and fasting, which began a week later. Together, if you remember, we prayed and fasted every meal of every day. Someone signed up for 40 days. Actually, we covered every meal numerous times over. Scores of you prayed. We called it, remember what we called it? Seeking God's guidance in a posture of repentance. And did we pray according to the will of God or what? Every day we prayed through scripture, through the daily prayer guides that we sent out every 10 days. It was 40 days, you might say, in search of our deck chair, seeking guidance for our next chapter. And it climaxed in a solemn assembly. And did the Spirit of God come out or what? And was the will of God activated through that assembly or what? And it continues to this day. That, as we said back then, those 40 days were foundational to what God was going to do in the next chapter. And now you've been, scores of you are doing it again through Pastor Jim's daily prayer devotionals. And we've got a group of 10 women praying through each of our transition team meetings for the whole two hours as many of you are. And you've got a pastor who prays for you many hours a day and a church of senior saints who know how to pray. I've talked to many of you. That's your ministry. At a time when many of you are sheltering in place, sheltering in him, praying like never before. And so we have it on good authority that in a deeper and richer and wider way than perhaps ever before, his will will become his work around you as you enter your next chapter. And especially at a time like this, you've come to the right church. And I am so excited about what's going to happen because the will of God indeed becomes the work of God through prayer. It's like the song that you heard before the sermon. His will becomes his work, especially through groaning prayer, in the crushing, in the pressing. He's making new wine. And like the song says that we will now end with, from eternity, he's pulling us closer with his gravity in and through it all. He's pulling us ever closer through the weight of his love. Let's listen now.